redefining narratives and shifting perspectives. This is Story Noir. Hello and welcome to chapter 15 of the Story Noir podcast. My name is Opal and I'm so excited to be joining you today. We're going to be doing a read aloud of the book The Secret Lives of Church Ladies by Disha Filiha. This title came out in 2020. I remember receiving it as a gift for Christmas and really wasn't sure because of the person who gave it to me and then the title. I was just like, this seems to kind of deviate from, you know, what I normally read, like The Secret Lives of Church Ladies. Like, and, and the person who gave it to me, it was like, no, trust me, this is a good read. And so I did read it definitely understood why they gave it to me and so uh, a couple of years later I want to come here today to read a little bit to you. So The Secret Lives of Church Ladies, this is the description, it um, explores the raw and tender places where black women and girls dare to follow their desires and pursue a momentary reprieve from being good. Listen, (laughs) look at your neighbor and say! The nine stories in this collection feature four generations of characters grappling with who they want to be in the world, caught as they are between the church's double standards and their own needs and passions. There is 14-year-old Jael, who has a crush on the preacher's wife. At 42, Lyra realizes that her discomfort with her own body stands between her and a new love. As Y2K looms, Caroletta's same-time-next-year arrangement with her childhood best friend is tenuous. A serial mistress lays down the ground rules for her married lovers. In the dark shadows of a hospice parking lot, grieving strangers find comfort in each other. With their secret longings, new love, and forbidden affairs, these church ladies are as seductive as they want to be, as vulnerable as they need to be, as unfaithful and unrepentant as they care to be, and as free as they deserve to be. And so today, without further ado, I would love to read you one of the stories from this collection called Peach Cobbler. And if you're reading along with me, this is going to be on page 39. And this is one of my favorites. I think I've read Peach Cobbler the most out of all of the nine ones. And so um, that's really why I want to share it with you today. And so understand, disclaimer, you know, no copyright infringement intended. This is all for entertainment and critical analysis in a very lighthearted way. And so let's get into it peach cobbler. My mother's peach cobbler was so good, it made God himself cheat on his wife. When I was five, I hovered around my mother in the kitchen, watching, close enough to have memorized all the ingredients and steps by the time I was six, but not too close to make her yell at me for being in the way, and not close enough to see the exact measurements she used. She never wrote the recipe down. Without having to be told, I learned not to ask questions about that cobbler, or about God. I learned not to say anything at all about him hunching over our kitchen table every Monday eating plate after plate after plate of peach cobbler, and then disappearing into the bedroom I shared with my mother. I became a silent student of my mother and her cobbler-making ways. Even when I was older and no longer believed in that God, and Reverend Troy Neely were one and the same, I still longed the perf- I longed to perfect the sweetness and textures of my mother's cobbler. My mother, who fed me TV dinners, 
baked a peach cobbler with fresh peaches every Monday, her day off from the diner where she waited tables. She always said Sunday was her Saturday, and Monday was her Sunday. What I knew was that none of her days were for me. And for many of those Mondays off and on during my childhood, God, to my child's mind, would stop by and eat an entire 8 by 8 pan of cobbler. And so if you're not picking up, um, if you're not tracking, essentially God is um, a person. It's the reverend who comes over. <laughs> um, my mother never ate any of the cobbler herself. She said she didn't like peaches. She would shoo me out of the kitchen before God could offer me any. But I doubted he would have offered even if I had sat down right next to him. God was an old fat man like a black Santa, and I imagine my mother's peach cobbler contributing to his girth <laughs> in more than one way. Some Mondays, God would arrive after dinner and leave as I lay curled up on the couch watching Little House on the Prairie in the living room. Other times, my mother and God would already be in the bedroom when I got home from school. I could hear moaning and pounding like a board hitting a wall as soon as I entered the house. I would shut the front door quietly behind me and tiptoe down the hall and listen outside the bedroom door. Oh God, oh God, oh God, my mother would cry. I could hear God too, his voice low and growly saying, yes, yes, yes. Even before he started coming by on Mondays, I had suspected that Pastor Neely, the pastor in Hope in Christ Baptist Church, was God. He was big, black, and powerful, as I imagined God to be. My very first Easter speech, memorizing kindergarten during Sunday school, was, Jesus is the Son of God. But I didn't find it odd that black God could have a blue-eyed, bl but, sorry, but I didn't find it odd that black God could have a blue-eyed blonde son. Pastor Neely was dark, his wife was pale, and their son, Trevor, who was around my age, had gray eyes and wasn't too much darker than the Jesus whose picture hung all over the church. Plus, Midway through every Sunday service, Pastor Neely, his wife, and Trevor stood in front of the sanctuary and collected a love offering from the congregation as the choir sang, I love you, Lord, today. So it was easy for me to deduce that Pastor Neely was the Lord. My mother's cries of passion through our bedroom door confirmed it. I enjoyed the theater of Pastor Neely's Sunday sermons. From the pulpit, he thundered and roared at the congregation about God's wrath and judgment. And then he intoned about God's goodness and mercy. He wrapped his arms around himself and he rocked. Then he stepped down from the pulpit and prowled the aisles of the sanctuary, energized and excited to tell us what he called the good news. For a big man, he moved with surprising ease and grace. By the time he got to the altar call, most of the women and some of the men would be up on their feet, swaying and crying out. But not my mother. Hmm. She stayed seated, her face unreadable as usual. She said, I'm going to have him up on his feet swinging, crying out later. That's, that's not part of the book, but that's just my two cents. So, Pastor and First Lady Neely were the opposite of Jack Spratt and his wife. He, thick and corpulent. She, gangly and gaunt, like a child's stick figure drawing. During the love offering, she stood as straight and stiff as an arrow. Her straight brown hair hung past her shoulders, and I thought she was a white woman until years later when I saw her up close for the first time at her front door. Hmm. Like many of the church ladies, First Lady Neely 
wore a wide-brimmed hat, but hers hung low and almost obscured her eyes. But I could see enough of her to know that she did not have big, begging eyes like my mother. She was not beautiful like my mother. She did not have my mother's round breasts and full hips, the kind that excited strange men on the street. Men called my mother dirty motherfuckers when they said, excuse me, men called my... Men my mother called dirty motherfuckers when they said nasty things to her as we walked past. First Lady Neely probably never walked anywhere. I saw her stepping out of a pink Cadillac in the church parking lot one day. I heard one of the church ladies standing nearby say she had earned that car selling Mary Kay. Oh lord. <laughs> the ultimate MLM. Not the pink Cadillac. Alright. Pastor Neely always drove a luxury car. A new one each year. Gifts from the congregation. He parked it in our backyard, which was adjacent to the woods. Our house sat alone at the dead end of a gravel road. The nearest neighbor was half a mile away, near the bus stop. One day in second grade, I ran that whole half mile home, excited to share some good news with my mother. I burst into the house, threw my backpack on the ground, and ran straight into the kitchen, breathless. Pastor Neely sat at the table, hunched over. Mm. It was a Monday. He looked up from his plate of cobbler and said hello in that fake forced way that drags out the oh. Hello. The way people say it when they don't enjoy talking to children. I said hello back and he went right back to his cobbler. He ate surprisingly small spoonfuls, slowly. His full lips, slightly parted and glistening, made me think of the kissing I saw on TV and the movies. The spoon practically disappeared in his bare paw of a hand. His fingers resembled the thick sausages my mother made for breakfast sometimes on Sunday morning. My mother leaned against the counter near the back door with her arms folded, watching Pastor Neely eat. She looked pleased, not particularly happy, but pleased. And yet she watched him so intently, she also appeared ready to rush and block the door if he tried to leave. Mama, I said, still grasping to my breath. Guess what? What? She never took her eyes off the plaster. Latasha Wilson invited me to go to her birthday slumber party. Can I go? Can I go? The talk at school was Latasha Wilson lived in a two-story house and had a pink canopy Barbie bed. Her hair was always neatly pressed and pulled into a high ponytail of shiny, spiraling curls. Her father worked at a bank. The birthday party invitation, which I shoved down inside the front of my shirt, smelled like bubblegum. Latasha smelled like bubblegum. I bet her house smelled like bubblegum too. I could not wait to find out. No, my mother said. I bit down the why not that almost slipped out of my mouth. My mother's eyes were still on Pastor Neely, his eyes still on the cobbler, and my eyes filled with tears. Go on and change out of your school clothes, my mother said. Tears spilled down my cheeks as I backed out of the kitchen. At first, I stood in the hallway, out of sight, instead of going into the bedroom to change. Normally, I did what my mother told me to do. But at that moment, I was too crushed. I peeked around the corner. My mother had sat down at the table across from Pastor Neely. She couldn't see me peeking out, but Pastor Neely suddenly looked up from the cobbler right at me. I quickly moved out of sight, bracing myself. But instead of ratting me out, Pastor Neely asked my mother a question. Why won't you let the girl go to the party? I peeked around the corner again. My mother sighed. Because I like to keep to myself, and she needs to learn to keep to herself, too. It's better that way. 
You go accepting invitations and people expect an invitation in return. Then you got people coming to your house looking at what you have and what you don't have. And the next thing you know, your business is all over town. My mother ran her fingertips along the edge of the table and smiled to herself. And I'm sure you can understand not wanting to have your business all over town. Pastor Neely didn't say anything. He just took another bite of cobbler and shook his head. And besides, my mother said, I'm trying to raise her to be satisfied with what she has. I know that little girl Latasha's mom and her daddy went to school with them. They've always been flashy, like to show off. He used to drive her around in his daddy's Lincoln until his daddy bought him a Mustang at 16 years old. They got money and all of that to come with it. So you know Latasha don't want nothing for that birthday and that party is going to be over the top. <laughs> I don't know these people, Pastor Neely said, but if the Lord has blessed them and they want to celebrate their child's birthday and invite your child to share in it, I don't see the problem. It was strange hearing Pastor Neely talk about the Lord outside of his pulpit. Instead of that scary, booming voice, he sounded like a regular person. A regular person who might convince my mother to let me go to Latasha Wilson's birthday party. I crossed my fingers on both hands. My mother sat up straighter in her chair. When she spoke, it was slowly, as if she were trying to choose her words carefully. They can raise their child however they see fit, but I'm not going to raise mine to go through life expecting it to be sweet, when for her, it ain't going to be. The sooner she learns to accept what is and what ain't, the better. She get a taste of that sweetness, she's going to want it so bad she'll grow up and settle for crumbs of it. What the heck? Also, like, mother, why, why are you being, why are you overthinking this? Like, the little girl just wants to go to a fucking party. Sorry, that, that's also the story noir spice I like to call my two cents. Like, girl, what? Anyway, Pastor Neely glanced at me again, shook his head, and ate the last bite of cobbler. I ducked back out of sight and uncrossed my fingers. My eyes filled with tears again. Without looking, I knew my mother would whisk away the empty collar, cobbler plan, pan, the pastor's plate, and the spoon. I knew she would dunk them in the soapy dishwater in the sink like she always did, so I couldn't even sneak a taste of the remnants later. You got the best cobbler in the world right here, I heard Pastor Neely say, Latasha Wilson's birthday party invitation apparently forgotten. He said this all the time, and because I believed he was a kind of black Santa, I imagined him preaching at church on Sunday, traveling the whole world Tuesday through Saturday to try to find other mother's peach cobblers, but always coming back to my mother's on Monday. I went and changed out of my school clothes, then sat on the couch, unsure of what to do with this new feeling towards my mother. Anchor. I heard them go into our bedroom and shut the door. I got up to put a TV dinner in the oven. Sometimes my mother remembered to put one in. Sometimes she didn't. The fried chicken, mashed potatoes, corn, and warm brownie was my favorite. I always ate the brownie first while it was still gooey in the middle. Yeah, those TV dinners definitely have hit in the past. If you know, you know. The blue box with the um, penguin on it. Mm, chef's kiss. Also, that's some story noir spice. Sometimes Pastor Neely and my mother would be in the bedroom for minutes. Sometimes an hour. Always there was laughter when they came out. My mother would be laughing at some joke I hadn't heard. And she would wisp wish Pastor Neely a good night. And he would laugh and thank her again for the peach cobbler. I remember the laughter because the silence in our house between visits from Pastor Neely made me wish I knew the right jokes to tell to make my mother laugh like that. I didn't know the right jokes, but maybe if I watched her hands as she sliced the peaches, counted how many times she stirred, and learned to gauge the smell, 
the exact moment to take the cobbler out of the oven. Maybe I could make a cobbler that pleased God. And maybe that would please my mother. On those Mondays that God didn't come, my mother would toss the cobbler in the garbage after dinner, pour herself a large tumbler of Tanqueray, and send me to bed early. Sometimes he wouldn't come for several weeks in a row. Or several months. I remember one time a toothless old woman testified at church saying, God may not always come when you want him, but he's always right on time. Amen? Hmm. One night, one Monday night when I was eight, I lay in bed, restless, thinking about the cobbler in the bottom of the garbage can. But this night, I remember that I had taken the garbage out and put a fresh bag right before my mother threw the cobbler away. If I got up, as if I had to go to the bathroom, but I went to the kitchen instead, I could get a piece. In the darkness, I reached down into the garbage until my fingertips were wet and sticky. I grabbed a handful of the cobbler and shoved it all in my mouth at once. The sugary juice dribbled all over the counter, sorry, all over the corner of my mouth, down my chin as I chewed. I savored the peaches and the soft bits of crust soaked through with the maple syrup. Nothing had ever tasted so good. From memory, I pictured every moment of my mother's hands, how she dunked the peaches in boiling water, then ran them under cold tap water to slice the peels off, the easy way she wielded the knife to slice the peaches. The care she took to drain canned peaches when Georgia peaches were out of season. I wanted to be those peaches. I longed to be handled by caring hands. And if I couldn't, I wanted the next best thing, to make something so wonderful with my own hands. What are you doing? I swung around. My mother stood in the doorway with her bare arms folded. She wore a faded cotton nightgown that had been sky blue once upon a time. I asked you a question, she said, her voice still thick with gin. Tears streaked down my cheeks, and my sticky fingers were still in my mouth. I bit down on them, not sure how to answer her, afraid not to answer. My mother didn't whoop me often. By then, I had learned how to stay on the right side of her anger most of the time. But when she did, it was like she had lowered her bucket into an ancient well of fury that ran far deeper than my present crime. She would wail along with me as she hit me, saying over and over that I had to learn. I had to. Answer me! I wanted some of the cobbler. Is it yours? No, no, ma'am. What did I tell you about taking things that aren't yours? It's stealing. What does that cob- Who does that cobbler belong to? <laughs> That's a loaded question. My mother and I had never spoken about what happened on Mondays. But instinct had told me it wasn't something she wanted to talk about. And as a general rule, my mother had no patience for my questions. It, it, it belongs to God. My mother's eyes widened. Are you sassy me, girl? She stepped towards me. I ran to the back door and pressed my hand against it. Outside, I decided, was still scarier than inside. My words came tumbling out. No, mama, no, I'm not sassing you. You make the cobbler for God. I make the... Mama dropped into a chair at the kitchen table. You think that... She made a sound, something like laughing and coughing. Mm, sit, sit down. I sat in the chair from across from her. I know you don't understand why some things are the way they are, Mama said. But you just haven't lived long enough to know. But I know. I know what's best. I know what's good for you. Mama reached over and touched the back of my hand. The thrill of her touch made me forget for a moment that I was in trouble. One thing you ought to understand, though. Pastor Neely is not God, she said. He's a friend of mine. That's why he comes by here. 
She spoke with a softness that matched her touch and and tamped down my fear. Even when she continued saying, but that ain't nobody's business but mine, some of the softness remained. I wish this softer mama would show up more often. Do you understand me? And it was, oh, yes, ma'am, I said. And it was an easy secret to keep. First, there were the questions of who I could tell and why, and why would they care to know? Not being allowed to spend time with my classmates outside of school had positioned me firmly on the sidelines of any group of girls that would have had me in the first place. Pretty much everybody on our side of town was poor, but thanks to my too small or too large Goodwill clothes and run over shoes, the other girls never found themselves last in the elementary pecking school early pecking school order. And while those girls, save Latasha Wilson, weren't much better off than me, at least their hair was brushed into carefully parted, well-oiled ponytails with rats most days. This currency of being neat and cared for was always out of my reach, a fact that was evident every time I stood on a chair in front of the bathroom mirror, struggling to wrestle my giant ball of thick hair into a single puff atop my head. Mama always said she'd never been good at that kind of thing. She had loose curls that didn't require taming, and she was relieved when I could finally do it myself. So I had no real friends to confide in about Pastor Neely, and the idea of saying anything at all, not to mention my mother's business, at length to an adult, the idea made my stomach flip-flop. Even if my mother hadn't asked me to keep her secret, what happened one Monday when I was 10 guaranteed I would never tell. One hot day in late May, I was walking home from the bus stop. Our electricity had been shut off again, and all the windows in our house were open to catch a breeze. As I approached the house, one of those wished-for breezes swept past, lifted the curtains at our bedroom window, and held them in mid-air long enough for me to see Pastor Neely's huge, bare ass to see him standing and thrusting against my mother, crushing her against our dresser. As I walked closer toward the front of the door, the curtains continued their air dance, and I could see more of Pastor Neely's ass. I could see him gripping my mother's hips with those fat sausage fingers of his covered, I imagine, with sticky syrup from the cobbler oozing down my mother's body, and I hated him. This was sex, the it girls at school giggled about behind their hands. I got my first period a week later, a shock to both my mother and me. I didn't know what was happening, and at first my mother would only say, you're too young, you're too young, you're too young. Her crumpled face and the bulky pad between my legs felt like a punishment. By the time I turned 11, I was covered in pimples and wore a 36D bra. My mother was more embarrassed by my breasts than I was, always chastising me to cover up as if that was possible. I sensed her retreating even further away from me, so I made the first move. I moved out of our bedroom, took over the living room, and slept on the couch. When I stopped going to church, my mother didn't even push. Even though I no longer ate peach cobbler out of the garbage can at night, my hunger remained. I still watched my mother make them because I didn't want to forget how she did it. Maybe I can make one for myself. Once, I asked her if she could buy extra peaches so I can make a cobbler. I don't have money to waste on on you messing around in my kitchen, was her answer. At 14, I I got a job at the mall at Tom McCann's shoe store. I would buy my own damn peaches. I made my cobblers on Friday nights when when my mother would hole up in her bedroom with a bottle of Tanqueray and I had the kitchen to myself. I didn't change a single step or ingredient. 
so my cobbler's tasted as good as my mother's, even better eaten off a plate instead of my fingers. I ate cobbler with every meal throughout the weekend until it was all gone. I would soak the empty pan in the sink, my hands lingering in the warm dishwater. I had made something beautiful. Only once did my mother acknowledge my cobbler making. She came out of her room one Friday night and stood in the doorway of the kitchen, wearing an oversized flannel shirt, gin in hand, watching me. The liquor made her slower and more deliberate, softer, and even more beautiful somehow. Her hair was out of its usual bun, and it flowed over her shoulders. She was in her mid-thirties, but looked girlish, like a life-size doll. You think you just know what you're doing, huh? Think you smart, smarter than everybody? I turned away and went back to stirring the batter for my crust. My mother walked over to me so I could smell the gin on her breath. There's book smart, and then there's life smart, she said. If you was life smart, you wouldn't try and be anything like me. I imagined asking Pastor Neely to try my cobbler. But besides our awkward hellos, we never said a word to each other. If I was in the kitchen when he arrived, I would leave and go into the living room. Still, I imagined him tasting my cobbler and telling me it was better than my mother's. The best in the world. I also imagined serving him peace with ground-up glass baked into the crust and watching him crumple to the floor. This is a story noir spice. If you all remember the movie The Help, when she served her the shit pie, that is kind of what um, I thought about when I read this. By 11th grade, I had tried fighting off boys and gave in. But none of the boys I fooled around with in the park behind the school deserved my peach cobbler. Because they don't. Mostly they just wanted to mess with my breasts. And I mostly just wanted to be touched. One Monday night in mid-January of my junior year, my mother came into the living room with me after Pastor Neely left. I felt my chest tighten. I much preferred our usual routine where I couldn't bear to look at her after he left. And she didn't seem to want my company either. But that night, she joined me on the couch and handed me a piece of paper. This is the Neely's address. They're expecting you on Tuesdays right after school for tutoring. Trevor is having some trouble in math, she said. I told them how you get straight A's and, and all in the advanced classes, too. He's just going to tell her that the school recommended you as a tutor. He and her? So we're not going to say Pastor Neely's name or his wife's name? I was going to keep my mouth shut as expected. And it was always expected. And so that first Tuesday when First Lady Neely threw open the door of their McMansion before I could even knock, I realized she was black, not white. Up close, I could see her full lips and broad nose. And looking at her relaxed hair pulled back into a loose ponytail, I could tell it was almost time for a touch-up. Hello, Olivia. I'm Marilyn Neely, she said, ushering me into the foyer. But you can call me Ms. Marilyn, and I hope you don't mind, she said, wrapping her bony arms around me. I'm a hugger! <laughs> Realizing that she wasn't the white woman ice queen I remembered from years ago made me feel even worse about being in her home. I willed myself not to stiffen at her touch, tried to remember that I hadn't done anything wrong, that I, was, I wasn't the one betraying her. I touched her back lightly during the hug, and I could feel her shoulder blades protruding. I felt huge by comparison, like I could crush her bones with one hard squeeze. With one hard truth. Hmm. Let's talk about a hard truth. I felt lightheaded at the image of such power, at the memory of Pastor Neely's naked ass, and at the thought of my mother. What if this woman can read my thoughts? 
I swayed and almost lost my balance. Are you okay, honey? Ms. Marilyn helped me by my shoulders with a surprisingly strong grip. On each of her hands, three huge diamond rings sparkled. She guided me to a small sofa inside the foyer. This settee has been in my family for 50 years, she said. My papa used to say settee was French for useless chair. She laughed at her own joke and I tried to smile, but my lips, just like the rest of me, were shaking. <laughs> I'm fine, I said. Just a little weak. I skipped lunch today. Which wasn't a complete lie. I skipped lunch most, most days because cafeteria food was gross and I preferred the company of books over that of my peers. Amen? Repeat that. Hmm. I preferred the company of books over that of my peers. Miss Marilyn clapped her hands. Well, come on into the dining room. I have a nice snack prepared. And that's where you and Trevor will be working. Trevor! She yelled up the stairs. Trevor Neely was a star football player and college-bound senior at Woodbury Academy, a local private school. No doubt. He was fair, tall, and lean like his mother. He definitely had a, a, his pick of girls at school. I thought he would have a problem with his tutor. I thought he would have a problem with his tutor being a year younger than him and a girl. But neither of those things bothered him, he never, and he never said it did. After his mother introduced us and then left, closing the pocket doors of the dining room behind her, Trevor stared openly at my breasts. His gray eyes flashed with confidence. I picked up a finger sandwich, chicken salad, from the tray Miss Marilyn had prepared. Between bites, I said, so, why don't you show me what you're working on in pre-cal? But Trevor kept staring at my breasts, into my eyes, and then back to my breasts. Yes, I told him, I have huge tits, huge boobs, giant hooters, enormous knockers, and yes, you're cute, but your eyes won't work on me. Now cut the bullshit and let's get to work, damn. Trevor laughed, showing his perfect teeth. You all right. Yeah, you all right. He showed me his last test, on which he'd ironically gotten a 69%. We went over his mistakes for about a half an hour, and they asked to take a break. We ate sandwiches and sipped Coke. This time, when Trevor looked at me, I found myself looking away. He really was cute. Have you seen that new Fat Boys video with the Beach Boys? Wipeout? Yeah, that's it. It's a trip, he said. I heard the song on the radio, but I haven't seen the video. What? They play it like 50 times a day on MTV. I don't have cable. You don't have cable? I shrugged. But I know you watch the Cosby show. Yep. And you know who I can't stand? Vanessa. She's so annoying. She makes me glad I don't have any brothers or sisters. Me too. Though I wouldn't mind Denise. She's cool. Mm, that honey is fine. I wouldn't want her for a sister, though. That's illegal. Ugh. Sorry. We both cracked up, and then silence followed. My hand rested near Trevor's on the dining room table. His fingers were not stubby sausages like his father's. They were long and slim, and I wonder how they would feel inside of me. How he would feel inside of me. What if I went all the way with him? Something I hadn't done before. I pictured it. Trevor and me, naked and all tangled up groping and sucking on the dining room table beneath his mother's crystal chandelier. I felt sick again at the thought, this time at the pit of my stomach. Sick with desire, though. The words took shape in my mind, black and slick like oil, rising from the page of a trashy novel I'd gotten from the grocery store a week, the week before. 
In that moment, I understood how enough desire could drown you, take you all the way under. And I closed my eyes, cleared the fantasies, and pulled myself back to the surface. At home that night, I took the envelope of money Ms. Marilyn had given me and dropped it on the kitchen counter next to where my mother stood washing dishes. I headed for the living room. How was it? My mother called after me. I stopped without turning around to face her. How was it? How was it? Was she serious? Oh, it was about what you would expect from spending the time with the wife and the son of the preacher your mom is fucking on a weekly basis. Eh, fine, I said, my back still turned. That's it? Just fine? Yes, ma'am. Here, take this. It's yours. I turned around. My mother handed the envelope back to me. <laughs> no, ma'am, I don't want it. Here, she said. She shook the envelope. I sighed and took it. Sit down. I sat at the table, and my mother sat across from me. Tell me about the house. It's big and full of old, expensive furniture. My mother frowned. What else? What, what about her? What about her? Watch your tone, and don't get smart with me. I'm not. I just, I, I really don't know what you want me to say. I shrugged. I felt a strange sense of loyalty to Miss Marilyn and to Trevor. None of us asked to be in this situation. She was nice. And? And I don't know. She's not white. You thought she was white? My mother laughed loud and throatly. No, she's just high yellow. As black as he is, he likes a high yellow woman, of course. My mother was only a shade or two darker than Miss Marilyn. I was darker than my mother, but not as dark as Pastor Neely. A sick feeling came over me for the third time that day. Could Pastor Neely be my father? My mother only ever said he was with someone I wouldn't want to know. As if she'd read my mind, my mother said, just like your daddy, black as midnight, but chased a high yellow and white women nonstop. May I be excused? My mother looked disappointed. I made you a TV dinner. Thanks, but I'm not hungry. Did you eat over there? Just sandwiches. What kind? Oh, her mother is messy, girl. I had to bite my tongue. I couldn't believe she was just giving the third degree about a damn sandwich. I just wanted to go take a shower. Chicken salad. And what else? Coca-Cola. And, and, and that's it? <clears throat> yes, that was it. May I please be excused? My mother waved me away. Later that night and many nights after over the months I tutored Trevor, I drifted in and out of dreams about him. I had liked a couple of the boys I'd fool around with and liked a few others from a distance. But Trevor was the first boy I really crushed on. His big, curious eyes, the round tip of his nose and his full lips. A smile or a laugh was never far from his mouth and I wanted to kiss him. Every Tuesday brought a new opportunity to kiss him. The way I would catch him looking at me, I was sure the feeling was mutual. But all I allowed myself to do was inhale the sweet mix of hair grease, soap, and sweat emanating from him when our heads hovered over together of his pre-calculus textbook. On the rare occasions when I did allow our eyes to meet for longer than a second, Trevor would smile, satisfied, and I would be flooded with a mix of desire and irrational guilt. Trevor couldn't blame me for what my mother was and his father were doing, and while I certainly wasn't going to tell him, my knowing and his not knowing just felt wrong somehow. But what could I do? All of this cemented my understanding of God as a twisted puppet master, watching his creations bounce around, trapped and tangled in tragedies for his amusement. Despite the tension, Trevor and I always got back to the work. 
back to the reason for my being there. He wanted to do one, he wanted to do well in pre-calculus, and I wanted him to do well so that he would graduate and I would stop hugging his mother every week like a Judas by proxy and frustrating my mother with reports of turkey sandwiches, sloppy joes, and corn dogs. But I would miss spending time with him, guilt and all. I managed to avoid Pastor Neely for four Tuesdays of tutoring, but on the fifth Tuesday, he opened the door when I rang the bell. I took a step back, my mouth went dry, and I did not return his hello. Pastor Neely grinned and extended his hand to me the way he did parishioners during the love offering. <laughs> love offering. I looked down at those fat sausage fingers and my stomach lurched. He dropped his hand and his grin, but his voice was cheerful. Come on in. Olivia, is it? Yes, sir. <laughs> I stepped partway into the foyer, but kept one foot close to the door, imagining the fallout if I had turned and ran. Trevor came bounding down the stairs. He froze on the last stair and narrowed his eyes at his father. Where's mom? She went to check on your aunt Catherine. She hasn't been feeling well lately. Oh, Trevor said. He didn't move from that bottom stair. Well, just do whatever you need when your mother is here, Pastor Neely told Trevor. I'll be downstairs in the study. Trevor waited until his father was gone before stepping down into the foyer. Come all the way in, he said. You look like you're ready to hit a bolt. Are you okay? Yeah, yeah, of course, I said. Why wouldn't I be? Sometimes people are intimidated by my dad. You look scared. I managed to laugh, so I hoped I was convincing. Me? Scared? Please. You look scared. Trevor's face reddened a bit, and he looked at the ground. I was just surprised to see him home this early, that's all. I wasn't buying it. But then he flashed me a smile, so I dropped it. Miss Marilyn had left us grilled cheese sandwiches wrapped in foil on the dining room table. Trevor took a huge bite of us out of a sandwich. My mom's not the greatest cook in the world, but she makes a good grilled cheese. I took a bite. The sandwich was buttery and delicious. This is good, I started to say. But Trevor was on me, his lips on mine, his body pressing mine against the table. I swallowed the bits of sandwich in my mouth and then returned Trevor's kiss. He slid his hand between my, beneath my shirt and cupped my breasts. I moaned and placed my palm on the table to steady myself. Trevor reached around to unhook my bra. No, I whispered. We can't. Your dad is in his study. Trevor held his hand up and backed away. You're probably right. I exhaled. Oh, relieved that he wasn't upset, but also screaming with joy inside, already replaying the kiss in my mind. Now you expect me to just sit here with blue balls and solve some polynomial equations? Trevor said. He made a big show of walking wide-legged to his chair. You are so silly, I said. And after that, we started each tutoring session with a brief makeout session. We knew that if Ms. Marilyn was going to check in on us, it wouldn't be in the first few minutes. Oddly enough, making out with Trevor made me feel less guilty where he and where he and Ms. Marilyn were concerned. For a few moments at least, I could forget about our parents and just be a girl kissing a boy she liked. Simple. At the end of April, Ms. Marilyn turned 60. It's my birthday, she announced as she threw the door open to let me in. Happy birthday, I said. I'm 60 years old today. No spring chicken, she chuckled or clucked. <laughs> you know, Trevor was my miracle child, my change of life baby. Trevor had come into the foyer, but turned on his heel when he heard the topic of conversation. Ms. Marilyn reached out and pulled him back. I thought it wasn't God's will for me to ever be a mother, but he gave me my beautiful baby boy when I was 43, she said, throwing her arms around Trevor. 
Ma, come on, cut it out, Trevor said, squirming away. I need to study. All right, all right, Miss Marilyn said. I'll leave you two scholars to your work. In the dining room, Trevor tried to kiss me. No, I hissed and pushed him away. I turned my back to him to wipe away tears. Okay? That time of the month, I guess, he said. You're not funny. Trevor shook his head. We sat down and went over the problems he had missed on a pop quiz. Then he started his homework, stopping to ask questions when he needed to. After a while, I started to pack up and leave. What are you doing? Trevor looked at his watch. We still got 15 minutes left. No, I, I just... Trevor looked dejected. I just had a question about number six. I sighed, dropped my bag, and looked back down on the chair. Look, I said, if your mother wants to hug you, let her. Don't be an asshole. The following week, Trevor answered the door when I arrived. He wore a public enemy t-shirt and a pair of basketball shorts. Message, I'm a jock and I'm righteous. How could I possibly stay mad at him? I stepped inside. Where's Miss Marilyn? She and my dad just left to go to the hospital. My aunt is actually really sick. His voice cracked a little and he pretended to cough to cover it up. I'm sorry. I hope she's okay. Yeah, I heard my mom say she might not make it. Her heart is failing and they're going to try and make a prayer circle around her. Like that's going to help. You don't believe in prayer? Trevor looked at me. I'm a PK. Of course I believe in prayer. His voice his voice dripped with sarcasm. What's a PK? Preacher's kid. I thought everybody knew that. Well, you thought wrong. We just stood there staring at each other. I never told anybody, I said. But I don't believe in prayer either. Trevor did that half smile thing and shook his head. I bet you have a lot of secrets. I'm good at keeping secrets. Trevor reached for my hand and I gave it to him. Upstairs in his bedroom, Trevor put a cassette in his boombox and pressed play. As Keith Sweat crooned, make it last forever, we kissed and undressed each other. Wow, Trevor said once my bra and panties were off. Instantly, her, his hands were everywhere. For once, I didn't feel embarrassed or annoyed. I felt powerful. I pushed Trevor back on the bed and straddled him, letting my breasts sweep against his face. You ever did it before? He asked. No. You? He hesitated a beat long, so I knew that no, that no, no matter what he said, the truth was that he hadn't. He told the truth, and together we figured out how to put on the condom. Trevor closed his eyes as he positioned himself between my legs. I wondered what he was thinking about. I was trying not to think about his father and my mother. The white-hot pain of him entering me brought me to tears. Tears from the fresh pain and from old hurts ran together. You want me to stop? Trevor asked, still thrusting. I never wanted him to stop. When it was over, we finished the risky business of removing the condom. My fears of getting pregnant, all the what-ifs I had held at bay while we were doing it, they all came flooding back. My mother would kill me. And Miss Marilyn, I didn't even want to think about how upset and disappointed she would be. If Trevor was thinking about any of this, he didn't show it. He just adjusted the pillow beneath our heads, laid back, and smiled at me. I propped myself up on one elbow. Don't you think we should go back downstairs? Your parents could come back at any time. Eh, they'll be praying for hours. Trust me. So I laid down on the pillow next to him and started and stared at the ceiling. Now what? You didn't like it? It's not that. I don't know. It's just weird. How can we? How can something that can feel right and wrong at the same time? My mother would say that what we did is plain wrong, a sin, fornication. And do you believe that? He shrugged. 
do you believe in God? He shrugged again. For a long time, I said, I thought your father was God. Yeah, <laughs> me and you both. And then Trevor reached for me with one hand and for a condom with the other. Miss Marilyn's sister died a few days later. When I showed up for Trevor's t next tutoring session, I brought Miss Marilyn a peach cobbler I had baked. I had hoped that Pastor Neely wouldn't be there, and was relieved when he wasn't. It would be the last tutoring session. Trevor had finals and then graduation, and then he was off to Morehouse in Atlanta. I'm so sorry about your sister, I said. Thank you, dear, Miss Marilyn said. She's at peace now. Hmm. Miss Marilyn's eyes were red from crying, and it was the first time I had seen her without a full face of makeup, and her hair was loose and a bit bushy. But she clapped her hands when I showed her the cobbler. Oh, my word. It almost looks too good to eat. Almost. Trevor, come see this. As Miss Marilyn chattered on about the cobbler and how her sister used to make a good apple cobbler, God rest her soul, I noticed a new framed picture on the hall table. In it, Trevor wore a tux, and his arm was around a pretty light-skinned girl in a seafoam green prom dress. Her makeup was flawless, and her hair was done up in, a, in glossy ringlets. They looked like a wedding cake topper, posed and stiff. My best china and silverware, because a special treat calls for special dishes. Oh, don't Monica and Trevor look lovely? Miss Marilyn asked when she saw me staring at the photo. They took that picture in her backyard. The Caldwells have a beautiful home in Hillcrest. A perfect backdrop. A Woodbury Academy girl from Hillcrest, whose mother hadn't been fucking his father for over a decade. Ah, oh, yes, I said. It's perfect! In the dining room, I could barely swallow a bite, but Miss Marilyn and Trevor dug into the cobbler. They both said it was the best they'd ever had. Miss Marilyn closed her eyes every time she took a bite. I tried to absorb all of this goodness, but I didn't deserve it. I don't even belong there, uh, selling her spotless home. Trevor finished his first helping, pushed his plate aside, and ate directly from the pan. I wanted to stab him with my fork. Trevor stealing kept stealing glances, asking me questions with his eyes. When Ms. Marilyn left us alone in the study, he stopped me when I asked to see his homework. Are you okay? It's not your concern. Whoa. You pregnant? What? No, I said way too loudly. Then what? Nothing. Let's just go over your homework. You're not going to tell me what's the matter. What was the matter? What the fuck was I expecting? For him to take me to prom just because we'd had sex? He hadn't told me he had a girlfriend, but I guess I also hadn't asked. So what did he owe me? What did anybody owe me? I didn't know you had a girlfriend. Oh, Trevor said. Yeah. Yeah. That was it. Yeah? The next 40 minutes felt like a year. Trevor finished his homework. I checked it and we went over the ones he had missed. I spoke as little as possible. My voice was slow and my it was slow and heavy and it felt like it belonged to somebody else. When the session was over, I grabbed my bag to leave. Wait, Trevor said. He stood up and pulled me to him. Let me go. I pushed him away. Trevor shrugged. All right, if that's how you want to be. How did I want to be? I want to be free of other people's secrets. Yeah, I said, that is how I want to be. In the foyer, Miss Marilyn handed me my clean baking pan with my last pay envelope. With a bonus, she said, hugging me. As I stepped outside, she, call she called after me. Please come and see me anytime. 
This big old house will be lonely come fall. Yes, ma'am, I said, knowing I never would. As soon as I was on the street and out of sight, I ran. I ran and cried the entire bus home. I stormed into the house and found my mother in the kitchen, putting away groceries. How was... Take it. I threw the envelope at her chest. She put her hands to block it, and the envelope fell at her feet. I dropped the empty cobbler pan and kicked it across the room as hard as I could. It slammed into the bottom of the stove. Girl, I don't know what's gotten into you, but I don't want this money, and I do not want to be in this house ever again. My mother's laugh was dry and scornful. She crossed the room and got right up in my face. Whose money do you think keeps us in this house? When was the last time you remembered the lights being shut off? Or the water? You can't, can you? Instead of talking about what you don't want, you need to be thanking him. I shook my head. No, I won't ever thank him for cheating on his wife, for bringing me around his family. And I would have rather been homeless, but I guess you should thank but I guess I should thank you for fucking him for all these years for keeping a roof over my head. My mother raised her hand and slapped me so hard across the mouth I almost lost my footing. I raised my hand to slap her back and she looked back at it. Go ahead, she said. Take your best shot and get the hell out of my house. I balled my hand into a fist. Why couldn't you leave me out of this? Tears streamed down my face. My mother kept her eyes on my raised fist. Look at me, I screamed but she wouldn't. You could have said no, my mother whispered. Could I really? I don't recall being asked. So don't you try and turn this on me. My mother slapped me again. You watch your mouth. I raised my fist again. I hope Pastor Neely chokes and dies on the next cobbler you make. Don't talk like that, Olivia. God don't like ugly. There's nothing you can say to me about God ever because you're the ugliest. You and Pastor Neely, the ugliest. My chest was heaving, and I couldn't stop the tears even when I wanted to. So you don't have to worry anymore, Mama, I said, about me wanting to be anything like you. I swear my life won't be anything like yours, because it will be sweet, and it won't be crumbs. And then I dropped my fist, because in the meantime, I had nowhere to go. The end. Ooh-wee! Let, let's take a moment to reflect on that. That was story noir spicy, wasn't it? Oh my goodness. So <laughs> that was really exciting um, to read to you guys. And yeah, there, there, there's just a lot of takeaways. So I really hope that, you know, there, there's some commentary. I want to know what it brought up for you all. The storyline was just, ooh, very, very, very interesting. And so, yeah, there, there were a lot of themes at play. <laughs> and so I really look forward to, to talking with you guys more um, in depth about this. But yeah, that was the, the Peach Cobbler story from The Secret Lives of Church Ladies. And so I look forward to discussing and unpacking with you on the next one. All right. Until then, take care. Bye, y'all.